Thinking Aloud, conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with parapsychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today, we'll be exploring new approaches to research with random event generators, quantum mechanical random event generators in parapsychology. My guest is one of parapsychology's rising young stars, Danny Caputi, who recently received her doctoral degree in atmospheric science from the University of California at Davis. We've done some previous interviews with Danny, yeah, in particular, looking at her study of psychokinetic weather control. And I'm going to link to that interview right now in the upper right-hand corner of your screen. And now, I'll switch over to the internet interview with Danny Caputi. Hello, Danny. It's good to see you once again. Good to see you too. Thanks for having me back on your show. Parapsychologists have been working with quantum mechanical random event generators back uh, since I first got into the field in the 1970s. Helmut Schmidt uh, was pioneering that research. Uh, but you're looking at uh, taking it in new directions that haven't uh, been attempted before. Yeah, definitely. So one of the things that um, I think I finished the last interview we did with about 18 months ago was how, um, in my opinion and experience, uh, we really need to take an interdisciplinary approach to consciousness studies. And um, this goes all the way back to, um, well, this was on your interview too with um, Thomas Brophy, uh, with um, integrating the good, the beautiful, the true. Ken Wilber talks about that. Um, that goes all the way back to um, Plato philosophy, basically. And um, But it, the problem is it's hard to find true examples of that, of true multidisciplinary science, technology, engineering, arts, and math, right? So instead of STEM, that would be STEAM, integrating all of it. And Something that always baffles me is um, this has actually been studied. So um, Robert Root Bernstein, I think his name is, uh, Michigan State University did a study and found that Nobel Prize winning scientists are two and a half times as likely as non-Nobel Prize winning scientists to also be artists or musicians. And despite the fact that this is kind of known at the university level, and all the universities talk about that, of how wonderful this interdisciplinary um, research is of this type, it's very rare that they actually go ahead and fund it and encourage their students to do it besides just in the abstract. And so uh, I teamed up with um, a Bay Area uh, inventor, um, former uh, Navy veteran of high rank, and um, Basically, we just um, combined our backgrounds together, his background in the military, my background in academia, and thought to ourselves, well, what is it, given that the world is right now in a state of chaos, what is it that's needed the most right now? And how can we lead a kind of multidisciplinary project by example, right? And so over the last year, really, we've been working together more or less full time, um, We've been kind of doing a rapid research and development of um, these random number generators and 
figuring out really everything that we can do with them. And um, so what we've created is uh, called Halo. And um, basically it is, um, well, it harnesses the, uh, the effects that consciousness have on the random number generators. Um, but it is, uh, we claim, a new computing branch, really, because we're using those for a whole suite of applications, which we call uh, non-deterministic programming. And um, I'll also add that um, this meets uh, the standards for what a lot of parapsychologists have been looking for for a number of years, which is a device that can make large and replicable effect sizes with mind-matter interactions, or as we call it um, to our non-parapsychological audience, mind-machine interface, and um, something that is not as subjected to the, to the decline effect because it's engaging, interactive, focuses on the local aspect of the effect, and has practical applications. Because in general, my sense is that uh, over the last 50 years or so of research with uh, quantum mechanical random event generators, the uh, effect sizes are very, very small. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so part of the reason for that, I think, and uh, Leo Madrid, my research slash business partner, thinks is because a lot of the research has focused on the non-local effect. And for understandable reasons, that's exciting to think I could affect it if this is in Colorado. But in some ways, that completely misses the local effect, what's happening right in front of you. And now, I also, when I say local effect, it actually doesn't affect the interpretation because the device itself, the random number generator, could be in a different state as long as the interface that you're looking at is local and just really focusing on what's in front of you. And so a lot of the ways it's been done is they have uh, somebody in a lab just trying to meditate and they make a line on a graph go up or there is a single light that they try to make brighter or darker, some kind of sound feedback. But usually it's it's simple, right? And it, after a while, can get kind of repetitive, right? And this um, basically... Um, takes the approach that, well, if we focus on the local effect, that might actually be the key into starting a feedback loop where you're drive, you, you have more attention on the system, the more coherent it gets, the more coherent it is, the more attention grabbing it is, if you design your algorithms cleverly, and then that increases the mind-matter interaction effect. And so that is what um, Leo's invention, uh, the etherospheric modulator, which uh, we can include a picture of up here, I'm sure. Uh, it's basically a circular array of lamps that are controlled, each one controlled by their own random number generators, and very much replicably go into coherence when a group of people look at it. And we see the coherence as um, a unification of colors, which is statistically, I think if you have around five lamps, five or six lamps, the same color, that's about... 10,001. And we see that on a regular basis. So um, this definitely works. And this has existed for years. And what we're doing with the computer is basically taking that to the next le level, seeing if we can turbocharge it with machine learning algorithms.
To me, it seems as if the uh, unique contribution here is looking at the coherence amongst a set of maybe, I think you used 10 individual random event generators, whereas in previous research studies, the researchers would use a single one and look for deviations from chance uh, with just a single uh, REG or RNG as they're uh, known. And, and you're using a, a completely different kind of statistic when you're looking at coherence among several. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And um, the, the arrangement of 10, uh, that was kind of where it all started, right? That existed... Um, well, I think it debuted at uh, the uh, Science and Non-Duality 2016 conference, um, so a while ago, long before I actually got involved. Um, but together, we've kind of taken that idea and, you know, uh, we're working on bigger and um, better things with it, too. So at the Apparitions Music Festival, for example, we had a big, two big LED panels uh, that we put in front of stages and the apparitions festival is kind of like a small underground rave uh, that's in Mexico every year. And we've been going there the last two years. Um, but this only the last year is when I've really been involved. And we basically took led panels and took that same concept of individual, um, similar to Cyleron mine lamps nodes that each have their own colors and then putting that on two big LED panels. And you're right, the statistics with that are very different. Um, well, no, they're, they're not very different. Um, it's still the same idea, you look for coherence. Um, but the particular thing that I look for in that arrangement is autocorrelation of colors. So when you get a nice gradient of colors that are, um, uh, let's say like, looks kind of like a rainbow, um, so like a gradation as opposed to just random colors in sharp contrast next to each other. Uh, the way we can measure that mathematically is uh, something called uh, auto spatial autocorrelation. To be clear for our viewers, each individual random event generator is connected to an output that could be, I think, one of five or six or seven different colors. And now you've got, let's let's say 10 of these, and you're looking for some sort of coherence amongst the different colors in the display itself, like they might all be the same color, or they might all show a gradiated pattern like a rainbow. Exactly, yes. And this is, this is something we see replicably, that this is a replicable effect when people are looking at it and people meditate around it. Um, People don't even have to be meditating. I've seen it um, go into coherence just looking at it for long enough. And um, I'll add that this was something, again, you know, I did not invent uh, the etherspheric modulator, which is that original circular arrangement of lights. That was, that's all my research partner. And I didn't entirely believe that at first, too, when he said, hey, I have a device that can actually in many ways solve this problem and, and is what a lot of the um, people in the consciousness community, consciousness researchers have been looking for. It took me a lot of convincing and a lot of being around it and a lot of careful statistics too, especially with uh, doing that at the Apparitions Festival. It wasn't really until I did all of that that I was fully convinced that this works as well as he says it did. 
Uh, I've seen some of your statistical graphs. You've been able to compare your results with a larger database of RNG studies going back for decades, I think. Well, yes, that was in the apparition study. Um, and I just kind of looked at one of the meta-analyses done and compared it kind of roughly to where that was. Because our, our key claim is not necessarily statistical significance. You can get statistical significance just by doing enough samples, right? But what really, what we're targeting is effect size. That's, and that's really the key. That's what we want to get up. And that's what also allows us to tackle other mind-body uh, sci-related philosophical questions like, is decision augmentation theory true or does it play a role? Things of that sort. And theoretically, if you can get effect sizes large enough, that will clearly distinguish that from just pure decision augmentation theory, which is, for any viewers who don't know, the idea that actually this um, mind-matter interaction, right, what some people call psychokinesis, is actually just precognition. Statistics uh, would be different for psychokinesis versus precognition, according to uh, uh, the decision augmentation theory of uh, my friend Ed May, who believes that precognition really is the explanation. I gather you're really leaning towards psychokinesis based on your studies. Yeah, we don't always use the word psychokinesis, but um, mind-machine interface, mind-matter interaction. Um, but that's just a matter of semantics, really. Well, now, another really interesting application that you're looking at has to do with uh, music. If people can listen to music and the music is created by random event generators, you, you've studied music. You know that certain sequences of uh, musical notes are more uh, pleasant to to people. So uh, could people influence the random event generators to produce music that is more pleasant to the ear? That's exactly, yeah. So everything we were talking about with uh, the lighting, you could apply that to sound, really any form of art. It doesn't have to be light, uh, anything visually or orally engaging. And so, uh, yeah, I basically developed a music counterpart um, to the lighting unit, uh, which involves, well, there's a couple of different templates right now, and some of them are still in development. But right now I have two different styles. Uh, one of them is a uh, meditation uh, drone-like sounds, right? So um, that just kind of plays a major chord in the background. And uh, there's some pentatonic notes over it that are determined by the random number generators, just for melodic interest and fill. Um, it's not in any particular meter, it's drone music, so it's just kind of freestyle. It just, it just goes at its own flow. But what motivates coherence is that when there's a spike in data, uh, or sorry, when there is a spike in the random event generator uh, and it goes into coherence, then that will modulate uh, the drone sound counterclockwise along the circle of fifths for any musicians out there. Um, and that that is, as we know, very pleasant uh, in that type of drone music, especially. So that motivates the listener. And the key is really that it sounds good on its own, even if, let's say, Daniel Dennett's view of consciousness was correct in that uh, <laughs> there was no effect with the uh, random event generators, 
there would be no, um, like it would still work. It would still sound pleasant to the ear and it would occasionally modulate. It's just that it works better when you throw on the mind matter interaction. You know, it strikes me that you could connect your random event generators to tactile stimulus too, like some sort of a massage machine where you get a more comfortable massage if you can influence the random event generators. It's uh, it's interesting you bring that up. You know about my love of weather and especially extreme weather. Uh, one of the ideas I had was uh, to take a large turbofan and uh, one of them that can blow close to hurricane force. And the idea is you would have everything combined, light, sound, and sensation from uh, the wind rushing over your body and um, as a function of coherence. And the, the individual user could set the maximum, maximum speed, something like that. So that's, you know, where we're, we haven't developed that yet. Uh, but really there's... I would say, like conventional computing, um, there is really an infinite amount of conceivable applications with this type of computing. Um, we're not limited to lighting and sound or even any kind of senses, right? This can go into, and we're, we're, we're already developing it with a number of other applications too. And it works the same way. It's still that same feedback loop. You have something engaging, and then that... Um, that drives up the effect sizes, which is in contrast to, you know, kind of the standard approach of, you know, well, let's figure out uh, how to replicate this a million times, right? And then that'll, and then maybe from there, we'll figure out how to develop applications, right? Whereas our philosophy is actually developing applications is part of the key to increasing the effect sizes, which is what a lot of these researchers are looking for. Going back to the study you did at the Apparitions Festival in uh, Mexico, I think it's worth pointing out that the effect sizes that you achieved and, and reported on were uh, greater than, as I recall, 90% of uh, all of the uh, previous random event generator studies uh, done uh, historically based on that meta-analysis that you compared your work with. Based on that one meta-analysis, yeah. Um, and that was that was just looking at one of the metrics uh, where we compared uh, times of when we expect to be in coherence. Uh, we had three events throughout uh, the festival that we marked ahead of time and then looked at that um, afterwards and compared that to data outside of that. And that in particular um, corresponded to that level of effect size. Um, another interesting thing from there, um, and this would also kind of go against the decision augmentation theory, is that uh, there was a um, strong correlation at about um, R of around 0.2 or so, if I remember correctly, with, um, well, not that that's strong, but for this kind of a, uh, noise or noisy data, I would, I would consider that strong. Um, with uh, crowd size, number of people on the dance floor looking at the device, right? I took regular head counts of that throughout the festival and then compared that to 15-minute sliding windows around that. And that correlation was there pretty much no matter how I looked at it. So 
Um, and you could you could say that's another form of an uh, an, an effect size if if you have a solid uh, correlation between two variables, and that the coherence is happening when you would expect. It sounds as if what you're saying is that when a group of people come together, such as at a rave, where they're dancing, they're experiencing the music uh, and the lights, and uh, for all we know, they're also in an altered state of consciousness through uh, some substances, which are very common in, in these events. And so the people themselves are entering into a state of coherence through their dancing. And uh, at the same time, the random events event generators are also entering into a state of coherence. So you're, you're looking at a, a whole new way for humans to interact with random event generators. Yes. Yeah. And, and um, we're definitely, we're, we're not limited to festival environments of that type. Um, this has been taken, my research partner has taken these displays uh, to uh, art galleries, art shows. He actually says that is where he gets, um, and I've looked at the data too and, and been able to verify this, is that art gallery events is really where uh, the you get a lot of coherence. You know, one of the findings uh, that I've noticed in my uh, decades in the field of parapsychology is uh, the idea of novelty. Anytime you introduce something novel, different, new, exciting, it people uh, get aroused, I guess, and they enter into a psi-conducive state of mind. But very often, uh, if you try and repeat it, you're losing the novelty. And so many experiments uh, start out uh, really well, and then over time, uh, scores decline. Uh, decline, I would think, in fact, yeah. Yeah. That this is something that uh, you, even with the exciting work that you're doing, uh, could also potentially affect your work. This has been going on, this, this line of research, um, especially with the AIM device for a number of years. And, you know, I would say since 2016, it's been taken to um, about 400 different uh, individual events, and there has not been an observable decline. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not affected by the decline effect. We certainly could be, especially in cases where you have some kind of cognitive overload, you know, you, uh, you start to not believe the effect yourself, or the task just wears off. And, um, but yeah, so our approach is really to keep it novel continuously continuously keeping in that fresh source of novelty, you know, exploring new things, um, trying experiments in different ways. And, you know, that that's kind of the military style of research and development that, uh, you know, that we're um, taking from Leo's perspective and background. And it seems to be working. So you, you're also looking at other applications, I believe. The fact that we're using the random number generators, which are a quantum source and doing computing with it, you know, by definition, in a way makes it a sort of hybrid quantum computer that can function at room temperature, which in and of itself is, um, you know, well, nobody has really come up with a, a way to, to do that. Um, typically, you have to cool um, computers down, or at least the core quantum processing parts down to near zero Kelvin if, uh, if you want to get bit entanglement and doing stuff. But we're actually, we're taking advantage of the, the chaos effect to do computing. 
And so just like conventional computers have kind of an unlimited amount of applications, um, I would say the same thing for this type of computing. And so we've kind of taken our key interests and, and things that are part of our lives. So for me, I would say that's music, uh, other than uh, consciousness studies, I would say uh, for me, that's music, weather, and aviation. Uh, for Leo, that's uh, poetry. He's an award-winning poet, uh, encryption and blockchain. And um, also uh, he was an art dealer for a while. And so we kind of combined our interests and developed different applications along those lines. Um, now, uh, like I mentioned at the start of this interview, um, we've been exploring um, a weather-related application with this, a weather-influence-related application, uh, where we take a forecasting model and initialize it with the random number generator, right? And we can, we can add that kind of to the back end of our visual feedback that's in the front. And like I said, the machine learning, the co um, all of that happens in the background that looks for coherence. And we can take that and initialize the model. And with that, um, we, well, the first test we did went pretty well. Uh, we were able to get um, Hurricane Laura in the Gulf of Mexico that um, made landfall in Louisiana um, that six weeks back. Um, we uh, were able to reduce the um, uh, track error in the model at landfall by about 12 kilometers or so. Um, I would say now there's still a lot more to, uh, research to do with that. Uh, this is by no means conclusive. Um, so that, that's in the developing stage. Well, uh, without going into all the detail, because you're still, I think it's fair to say, in the very early stages of uh, applying this new approach to uh, research, I gather that you're in the process of uh, raising money through a, a GoFundMe page. Yeah, it's actually a Kickstarter page. And um, so uh, there'll be a link to that on our website. Um, haloai.me. And there's also another website we have, peaceinc, P-E-A-C-E-I-N-C.me, which is, um, which has our data and some of our past experiments, uh, past uh, field research and installations, uh, some of which are award-winning. And so, yeah, by donating uh, any amount, you'll get um, lifetime web uh, website membership uh, which includes access to various features. One of the applications is a language oracle um, and uh, where it uh, basically um, will give you uh, different words, phrases that are generated by the random event generators here. And you see that on your end. And um, so that's, uh, that's, that's one part of the website. Um, there's the synthetic music live stream, uh, which we'll also have linked on our website. Um, but, uh, yeah, additionally for a little more, um, we are offering to make, um, the hypercube shape, which you see in that painting above there, uh, just as like a little, um, token of appreciation. Uh, but for a little more, we can actually make, uh, the aim units, uh, or a pyramid with, um, random event generator controlled lights. And for the maximum level of donation, we'll build your own customized uh, supercomputer, hybrid quantum computer, Halo. 
<laughs> hypercube algorithmic language oracle, uh, just like this, uh, that will um, basically, you can consider it the um, world's first hybrid quantum computer that functions at room temperature using the avalanche effect of the random event generators. And it'll aid in our research too. You can, anyone who has one of these can participate and uh, serve as its own uh, data collection and experiment hub. It seems to me that what you're really doing is you're taking what could otherwise be a sort of dreary research task and you're turning it into something of a, uh, a toy even that people can play with. It is. People can definitely play with it. And it's kind of, I think of it as kind of an, um, an inner space shuttle, right? And so there's a lot of talk about how, you know, in the last hundred years, really, the trend that's been happening in even mainstream science, away from pure materialism into more, okay, we can take mental phenomena, mental states seriously, uh, really just in, in the last several decades, um, that that shift has been more prominent. And um, especially now with mindfulness, meditation research kind of being mainstream, although mind-matter interaction, not quite yet. So this is uh, kind of an inner space shuttle that can, because we have, in addition to the computing side of things, glasses, headsets, and with the, just the lighting and sound on its own can help you achieve um, state, deep meditative states that normally take people years of practice to get to. And so this can not only give people moments of peace when they're, when they're needed, especially now during this kind of crisis, but it can also serve as a scientific instrument of discovery. I like to think about, you know, you can study space with the, the telescope, uh, but the invention of the space shuttle that in and of itself doesn't mean there's not more science to do and more discovery, but it makes space exploration a whole lot easier because it can it can get you to, to places, it can get you to states. So this is kind of like an inner space shuttle. A space shuttle for the mind. That's a good way to think of it. Well, Danny Caputi, uh, it's been a pleasure to be with you. You're doing cutting-edge work, and uh, it has the potential to uh, help parapsychology take a big leap forward. Danny, thank you so much for being with me. Thank you. And for those of you viewing, thank you for being with us. <laughs>